Section 7 of the Promulgation of Universal Peace, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Promulgation of Universal Peace, Volume 1, by Abdul Baha Abbas. Section 7. 12. April 19, 1912, at Earl Hall, Columbia University, New York from stenographic notes if we look with a perceiving eye upon the world of creation we find that all existing things may be classified as follows first mineral that is to say matter or substance appearing in various forms of composition second vegetable possessing the virtues of the mineral plus the power of augmentation or growth indicating a degree higher and more specialized than the mineral third animal possessing the attributes of the mineral and vegetable plus the power of sense perception fourth human the highest specialized organism of visible creation embodying the qualities of the mineral vegetable and animal plus an ideal endowment absolutely minus and absent in the lower kingdoms the power of intellectual investigation into the mysteries of outer phenomena the outcome of this intellectual endowment is science which is especially characteristic of man this scientific power investigates and apprehends created objects and the laws surrounding them. It is the discoverer of the hidden and mysterious secrets of the material universe and is peculiar to man alone. The most noble and praiseworthy accomplishment of man, therefore, is scientific knowledge and attainment. Science may be likened to a mirror wherein the images of the mysteries of outer phenomena are reflected. It brings forth and exhibits to us in the arena of knowledge all the product of the past. It links together past and present. The philosophical conclusions of bygone centuries, the teachings of the prophets and wisdom of former sages are crystallized and reproduced in the scientific advancement of today. Science is the discoverer of the past. From its premises of past and present we deduce conclusions as to the future. Science is the governor of nature and its mysteries, the one agency by which man explores the institutions of material creation. All created things are captives of nature and subject to its laws. They cannot transgress the control of these laws in one detail or particular. The infinite starry worlds and heavenly bodies are nature's obedient subjects. The earth and its myriad organisms, all minerals, plants, and animals, are thralls of its dominion but man through the exercise of his scientific intellectual power can rise out of this condition can modify change and control nature according to his own wishes and uses science so to speak is the breaker of the laws of nature consider for example that man according to natural law should dwell upon the surface of the earth by overcoming this law and restriction however he sails in ships over the ocean mounts to the zenith in aeroplanes and sinks to the depths of the sea in submarines this is against the fiat of nature and a violation of her sovereignty and dominion. Nature's laws and methods, the hidden secrets and mysteries of the universe, human inventions and discoveries, all are scientific acquisitions, should naturally remain concealed and unknown, but man through his intellectual acumen searches them out of the plane of the invisible, draws them into the plane of the visible, exposes and explains them. For instance, one of the mysteries of nature is electricity according to nature this force this energy should remain latent and hidden but man scientifically breaks through the very laws of nature arrests it and even imprisons it for his use in brief man through the possession of this ideal endowment of scientific investigation is the most noble product of creation the governor of nature 
he takes the sword from nature's hand and uses it upon nature's head according to natural law night is a period of darkness and obscurity but man by utilizing the power of electricity by wielding this electric sword overcomes the darkness and dispels the gloom man is superior to nature and makes nature do his bidding man is a sensitive being nature is minus sensation man has memory and reason nature lacks them man is nobler than nature there are powers within him of which nature is devoid it may be claimed that these powers are from nature itself and that man is a part of nature in answer to this statement we will say that if nature is the whole and man is a part of that whole how could it be possible for a part to possess qualities and virtues which are absent in the whole undoubtedly the part must be endowed with the same qualities and properties as the whole for example the hair is a part of the human anatomy it cannot contain elements which are not found in other parts of the body for in all cases the component elements of the body are the same therefore it is manifest and evident that man although in body a part of nature nevertheless in spirit possesses a power transcending nature for if he were simply a part of nature and limited to material laws he could possess only the things which nature embodies god has conferred upon and added to man a distinctive power the faculty of intellectual investigation into the secrets of creation the acquisition of higher knowledge the greatest virtue of which is scientific enlightenment this endowment is the most praiseworthy power of man for through its employment and exercise the betterment of the human race is accomplished the development of the virtues of mankind is made possible and the spirit and mysteries of god become manifest therefore i am greatly pleased with my visit to this university praise be to god that this country abounds in such institutions of learning where the knowledge of sciences and arts may readily be acquired as material and physical sciences are taught here and are constantly unfolding in wider vistas of attainment i am hopeful that spiritual development may also follow and keep pace with these outer advantages as material knowledge is illuminating those within the walls of this great temple of learning so also may the light of the spirit the inner and divine light of the real philosophy glorify this institution the most important principle of divine philosophy is the oneness of the world of humanity the unity of mankind the bond conjoining east and west the tie of love which blends human hearts therefore it is our duty to put forth our greatest efforts and summon all our energies in order that the bonds of unity and accord may be established among mankind for thousands of years we have had bloodshed and strife it is enough it is sufficient now is the time to associate together in love and harmony for thousands of years we have tried the sword and warfare let mankind for a time at least live in peace review history and consider how much savagery how much bloodshed and battle the world has witnessed it has been either religious warfare political warfare or some other clash of human interests the world of humanity has never enjoyed the blessing of universal peace year by year the implements of warfare have been increased and perfected consider the wars of past centuries only ten fifteen or twenty thousand at the most were killed but now it is possible to kill one hundred thousand in a single day in ancient times warfare was carried on with the sword today it is the smokeless gun formerly battleships were sailing vessels today they are dreadnoughts consider the increase and improvement in the weapons of war god has created us all human and all countries of the world are parts of the same globe we are all his servants he is kind and just to all why should we be unkind and unjust to each other he provides for all why should we deprive one another he protects and preserves all why should we kill our fellow creatures if this warfare and strife be for the sake of religion it is evident that it violates the spirit and basis of all religion 
all the divine manifestations have proclaimed the oneness of god and the unity of mankind they have taught that men should love and mutually help each other in order that they might progress now if this conception of religion be true its essential principle is the oneness of humanity the fundamental truth of the manifestations is peace this underlies all religion all justice the divine purpose is that men should live in unity concord and agreement and should love one another consider the virtues of the human world and realize that the oneness of humanity is the primary foundation of them all read the gospel and the other holy books you will find their fundamentals are one and the same therefore unity is the essential truth of religion and when so understood embraces all the virtues of the human world praise be to god this knowledge has been spread eyes have been opened and ears have become attentive therefore we must endeavor to promulgate and practice the religion of god which has been founded by all the prophets and the religion of god is absolute love and unity thirteen april nineteenth nineteen twelve at two twenty seven bowery new york bowery mission from stenographic notes tonight i am very happy for i have come here to meet my friends i consider you my relatives my companions and i am your comrade you must be thankful to god that you are poor for his holiness jesus christ has said blessed are the poor he never said blessed are the rich he said too that the kingdom is for the poor and that it is easier for a camel to enter a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter god's kingdom therefore you must be thankful to god that although in this world you are indigent yet the treasures of god are within your reach and although in the material realm you are poor yet in the kingdom of god you are precious his holiness jesus himself was poor he did not belong to the rich he passed his time in the desert traveling among the poor and lived upon the herbs of the field he had no place to lay his head no home he was exposed in the open to heat cold and frost to inclement weather of all kinds yet he chose this rather than riches if riches were considered a glory the prophet moses would have chosen them jesus would have been a rich man when jesus christ appeared it was the poor who first accepted him not the rich therefore you are the disciples of jesus christ you are his comrades for he outwardly was poor not rich even this earth's happiness does not depend upon wealth you will find many of the wealthy exposed to dangers and troubled by difficulties and in their last moments upon the bed of death there remains the regret that they must be separated from that to which their hearts are so attached they come into this world naked and they must go from it naked all they possess they must leave behind and pass away solitary alone often at the time of death their souls are filled with remorse and worst of all their hope in the mercy of god is less than ours praise be to god our hope is in the mercy of god and there is no doubt that the divine compassion is bestowed upon the poor his holiness jesus christ said so his holiness baha'u'llah said so while baha'u'llah was in baghdad still in possession of great wealth he left all he had and went alone from the city living two years among the poor they were his comrades he ate with them slept with them and gloried in being one of them he chose for one of his names the title of the poor one and often in his writing refers to himself as darwish which in persian means poor and of this title he was very proud he admonished all that we must be the servants of the poor helpers of the poor remember the sorrows of the poor associate with them for thereby we may inherit the kingdom of heaven god has not said that there are mansions prepared for us if we pass our time associating with the rich but he has said there are many mansions prepared for the servants of the poor for the poor are very dear to god the mercies and bounties of god are with them 
the rich are mostly negligent inattentive steeped in worldliness depending upon their means whereas the poor are dependent upon god and the reliance is upon him not upon themselves therefore the poor are nearer the threshold of god and his throne jesus was a poor man one night when he was out in the fields the rain began to fall he had no place to go for shelter so he lifted his eyes towards heaven saying o father for the birds of the air thou hast created nests for the sheep a fold for the animals dens for the fishes places of refuge but for me thou hast provided no shelter there is no place where i may lay my head my bed consists of the cold ground my lamps at night are the stars and my food is the grass of the field yet who upon earth is richer than i for the greatest blessing thou hast not given to the rich and mighty but unto me for thou hast given me the poor to me thou hast granted this blessing they are mine therefore i am the richest man on earth so my comrade you are following in the footsteps of jesus christ your lives are similar to his life your attitude is like unto him you resemble him more than the rich therefore we will thank god that we have been so blessed with real riches and in conclusion i ask you to accept abdul baha as your servant at the end of this meeting Abdu'l-Bahá stood at the Bowery entrance to the Mission Hall, shaking hands with four or five hundred men and placing within each palm a piece of silver. End of section 7